This is a Shoesmiths podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the first ever episode of Copcast with the Shoesmiths Quarter Protection Team. Uh, you are currently listening to Lauren Miner, an associate in the COP team. Um, and then my two co-hosts will introduce themselves now, if you will. I'm Lucy Taylor. I'm a principal associate in the quarter protection team and I work with Lauren. And I'm Rebecca Bristow. I'm a senior associate in the quarter protection team and I work with both of them. Hey! <laughs> Welcome! <laughs> yeah. So I guess for anybody tuning into this to kind of set the scene, shall we? And give an idea as to how we kind of came to doing this. So um, th this is kind of, this is not legal advice. So just to be really clear from the outset, this is the oh, ramblings, if you like, of three cop lawyers who we are desperately missing kitchen chats and uh, coffee <laughs> chats. And so oh, we thought, <laughs> yeah, we thought we would just kind of come together on a very gray afternoon and um, just kind of chat through some things that have cropped up. Is that right, ladies? Yeah, and I think, to be fair, there's been quite a lot, hasn't there, in the media and in the news at the moment about thoughts, wishes and feelings in court protection cases um, and with individuals who've lost capacity. And we thought it would be a good chance to have a chat about what that means um, and how that comes up on a daily basis, perhaps. Is that fair to say with our clients? Yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And I think at the moment I've seen it all over LinkedIn and, and all over social media generally about the whole Britney um, conservatorship and that's absolutely mm -hmm. kind of brought it home. And and just some other things that have been happening in, I mean, it's LGBT um, history month and a um, couple of things cropped up there. So, yeah, we thought we'd kick it off with thoughts, wishes and feelings. So usually when we're in the office, we're, I think it's fair to say we're quite a sociable team and we like to talk about things, both work life and personal life. But I guess with the nature of quarter protection clients is that we often find ourselves getting very involved in elements of their life that you wouldn't usually find in other areas of the legal profession, I guess. So we tend to have to bounce ideas around and talk about individuals what their wishes and feelings are and how we best put that into our day-to-day -day practice as lawyers i guess um, it can it can be really difficult though can't it because with some clients that come to us we don't know anything about them mm, yeah. um you know when we get referrals via the panel or you know we get asked to to maybe get involved with a with a local authority case or something like that we often don't know anything about them mm -hmm. and then it's kind of backtracking and trying to build up a picture but I do always worry that, you know, we will miss something that's fundamental. So, mm -hmm. I mean, some people tuning in might kind of know what a lasting power of attorney is, but they're absolutely key to giving people the kind of greatest say and choice in terms of if you're in a situation where you don't have mental capacity, making sure that whoever your attorney is, making sure that they are going to voice for you and voice your your thoughts your wishes your feelings not your attorneys not you know a panel deputy that you might end up with but choosing an attorney who knows you and knows what you would want when you can't mm -hmm. advocate for yourself so mm. it's so important isn't it because we so often see it go wrong especially through our panel cases where a person hasn't perhaps taken those steps to 
make their thoughts, wishes and feelings known hasn't said, right, if I lose capacity, I want my brother or my sister or my partner to make these decisions for me. And then you're faced with somebody who doesn't know you at all, making an application mm -hmm. to a court who doesn't know you at all. Um, and your autonomy is completely lost at that stage because it's so hard to unpick what you would have wanted. Um, well, this is exactly what's happened to Brittany, isn't it? Um, you know, I was going to say that's a good segue. It's absolutely what's happened. Although, from what I've seen of the documentary that that's been put out, she did attempt to say, "I don't want my dad." um involved in in managing my affairs and i don't know the correct use and terminology and i'm not an american lawyer and have no idea but it was very clear from one of the lawyers who was talking in in the program that she didn't want her father involved mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and actually a lot of the time we don't want i mean i don't want my parents involved managing my affairs if anything happens to me um yeah so I, I haven't seen the documentary so how did he get it put in a position it's a conservator is that the terminology they use yeah. in the states um mm. i think it, i noted a, a key difference between the way it works in the us and the way it works in the uk so we um work for a professional deputy essentially and manage people's affairs and uh, in our team we exclusively deal with uh, property and finance um but in the us it's called a conservatorship and they similarly to in the uk have two branches they have the property and finance, which they call, um, I can't remember the term now, but then they also have a health and care arm, which they call conservator over the person. Um, mm. And it seems like they're far more liberal with that arm than we are here in the UK. Um, okay. so in the UK, we're very much a um, you know, health, health and care decisions are very much left down to P or the person in question as much as possible. Um, and ideally, they would only give authority for, for a third party to make that decision if it's absolutely necessary and limited to only very much that sole decision if possible. Uh, whereas in the US and in Britney's circumstance, her dad made the application to the court. So the potential deputy or attorney, or in this case, conservator, um, applied directly and said, I want to be both finances and health and care, essentially. Uh, and I don't know, obviously it was a documentary designed for the, the average layperson, so they didn't go into the, to the detail of the application itself, but. I think it would be interesting to find out more about and I did do a bit of digging but didn't really find anything. Um, That's not surprising though given the tone of what's happened. Yeah. Um, what I found so fascinating is that how many how many lawyers agreed to be on that documentary and were just speaking really openly. I was just thinking I don't think there's any way I would ever um, you know go on a public documentary and talk about any of our clients but um, the court didn't really seem to dig down to any great length, judging by the time it took for the application to be issued. I think he applied and then he was made he was made temporary conservator in a matter of days and then only a few months later permanently. Um, so how much did they dig into his capabilities? How much did they dig into whether it was necessary for him to be both financial and health? Um, they all so is it a much more blanket approach then in the States than it is here? I don't know. I mean, I think Lauren's right. I think there's so much that we don't know. You know, it was produced mm. for TV and it was produced mm. for maximum effect. Um, but what what came through was that there was certainly a consideration as to whether or not Brittany had got capacity to be involved in the proceedings. So to to litigate um, almost, you know, did she have litigation capacity? And um, there was a lawyer who was saying, I 
was representing her mm. and um, he wasn't even provided with a copy of the um, medical evidence or the report yeah. that said that she didn't have litigation capacity to be able to be involved in the proceedings, which I think, you know, as you're, and we put it in the, in the context of here, can you imagine if we were in court protection proceedings and we weren't given a copy of the medical mm -hmm. evidence regarding our client's capacity? So the whole process seems very secretive and it's ironic yeah. really because the court of protection in this, well, in England and Wales, has been deemed to be the secret court and then you hear what's going on in the US and it's like, crikey, this is really quite frightening. And I think that's the angle that the programme was coming at, that it's that very secretive. And so all of a sudden, her father's her interim conservator and then he's her full conservator with, within a very short period of time in which I think she had consented to the appointment but there was some suggestion that she'd done that because there'd been a bit of bargaining in terms of her having access to her children so yes yeah it was it was really um it was really eye-opening but I think the key thing was that um the, this this lawyer who had purportedly tried to represent her disagreed with the judge's decision on whether or not she had mm -hmm. capacity to be involved and yet that didn't seem to go anywhere um and he was saying that she um really didn't want her father involved she didn't want her father um and there was at various points um and and an, referred to as a lawyer or another independent body who seemed to be appointed jointly with the father but there was very much a focus on it being a almost like a business um, yes very much so business rather than actually somebody needing to have somebody to support them and in fact there mm -hmm. was no the 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 whole the whole situation it seemed very much a case of taking away her autonomy altogether not completely we would find whereby you know a deputy is there to support the individual to make the decision for themselves and only make a decision where the individual can't it's the total opposite and that, and it really you're sitting there watching it well I certainly was and thinking okay, I can see why people are, you know, jumping on the free Britney hashtag wagon because it just feels that she's got no voice. It feels that mm -hmm. she she can't speak up. And I think later on, as the programme progresses, I um, the, there was something said, um, and she was recording some, some video documentary, and she said um, about the conservatorship that they hear me, but they're not listening. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, it's quite powerful. I did find that very notable throughout the documentary. I thought what was really interesting is that Brittany, one way or another, whether you whether anyone believed she had capacity or not, there were plenty of occasions where she was saying things or expressing opinions. Um, and like that attorney that you mentioned, that she tried to instruct to represent her own feelings. I think the court eventually said, we don't believe she has got capacity to instruct her own attorney. So they just appointed a third party to represent her. And it didn't, they didn't seem that there was any conversation between Brittany and her then appointed attorney. So how is that party then able to understand her, what she wants and what she feels and how she wants to progress things when actually the, the attorney who she first instructed was saying, you know, I undertook a, a full capacity assessment to check that she was able to give me instructions um, and it was he he seemed like the most the the party involved in the um, documentary that most seemed to be listening to her throughout. Um, and I think what it made me think was that in the U in the UK court protection, P is very much at the centre of absolutely everything. Everything we do is 
what would P want to do? What's in P's best interest? If P can't express their own feelings, let's talk to the people around P, try and understand what they would have wanted. Um, the court is is meant to represent P and advocate for them. Um, you know, all the parties, even when they're in disagreement, we're still meant to be focusing on P. Um, but in in the US, it sort of seemed like she was swept under the carpet a little bit. And like you say, Lucy, it was very much a business arrangement where, you know, this was a it, it, it was an organization. It was structured. And I don't know whether that was because Brittany is such a massive figure. You know, she earns tens of millions of dollars a year and she is a business essentially isn't she i don't know whether that had something to do with it ask, yeah it to do with her role in the, the media's influence had a big impact on what happened the way it's been managed or is that just how a blanket approach i suppose again in the us is it less focused on p I would probably suggest it was the latter. I think certainly in terms of the evidence to support her, maybe her mental health struggles or, mm. you know, when she started to deteriorate, that was very well documented. And I can remember actually when um, she shaved her head yeah, and it was mm -hmm. shocking at the time. Um, so I certainly think that the media attention that was around at that time supported the um evidence that she was vulnerable no doubt she was you know anybody in that situation would be um i think as it went on though it, it was more of it was more of a lack of um focus on p p, p, p mm -hmm. does not seem mm -hmm. to be at the center of it at all and what i've also found really um <laughs> interesting about it is that we often work with high functioning individuals yeah. who don't have capacity um there does seem to be this suggestion from the free britney movement that oh well, she's high functioning so you've got mm. two real ends of the scale here we could absolutely see why people were getting you know really upset about it and really wanting to kind of fight for her and and that and to get her feeling liberated and back in control of her own affairs. On the flip side of it, I could also see how there is a misunderstanding that somebody who mm -hmm. is high functioning um, doesn't doesn't necessarily always have mental capacity to make the decisions that they need to. So it's really interesting. I definitely recommend you watch it, Becca. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too, me too. It's really interesting. And I thought it was a bit black and white, actually, in that it sort of the, the the people that were watching everything unfold, it seemed a bit sort of like um, it's either you need a full conservatorship and that person needs absolute control and P is yeah. not able to express anything or they don't need anything at all and they can completely manage their own affairs. So um, whereas this is very much and many of our clients are, you know, there was very much a forgetting that oh if Pete, you know if Brittany can say or oh, actually i really care about this or actually i'd really like to do this even if she can't manage tens of millions of thousand of dollars um she can still make certain decisions and those things should be respected um what i thought was particularly interesting in terms of how we manage clients like that is that in the in the cop in the uk i think where there's any any concern as to whether there's conflict or whether parties won't work well together um i would have thought that a, a third party would be appointed and that's where we use things like panel deputies isn't it 
Absolutely. I mean, you just have to look at it. And in, in this, in, in, in our jurisdiction, if you've got P saying, I absolutely don't want this, it's exactly mm, what the mm. court do. And, and there's case law to that effect. You know, that's happened. The court has decided to, you know, not appoint a, a mother um, in one mm. particular case because of P's wishes and feelings that they valued that that individual valued that relationship with her mother that she didn't want it jeopardized by suddenly her mother becoming her um you know banker for a better word i mean that that's mm. that's a phrase that you know in it in our world we we bound around don't we you know be be the relative be the husband be the wife be be the parent not the not the person purse string holder and it was absolutely that and, and that's that's where we come at it from so i i agree i was really surprised and there did seem to be a suggestion of some independent or at least a a third party lawyer but i was surprised to see her father featured at all and i don't think absolutely. the same decision would have been made in 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 our in our court of protection and actually, especially given the the value of Britney's estate, I mean, uh, they set the background a bit at the start of the documentary, and she was she grew up in a in a small town in you know the, the southern US, and both mum and dad got no experience. They grew up poor; they couldn't afford to go to New York to you know bring her to auditions or whatever. So all of a sudden, twenty years down the line, she's worth sixty million dollars million dollars, and yet dad, your average layperson with no history of managing that amount of money. Is a, is an apt person to to manage that? I don't I don't think that would happen in the UK either. Even if they're even if she did feel comfortable with her dad managing her affairs, I just think and and there are so many facets of her estate. You know, she's she's entering into contracts. She's you know releasing products. She's um, signing up for residencies in Las Vegas. You know, um, and al also what's interesting is sort of to touch on the slightly more t taboo subjects that we perhaps sometimes cover like you're saying lucy do you do you really want a parent to be doing to be your banker but there's also the fact that dad is essentially the health and care attorney as well Brittany is without putting it lightly she's an international sex symbol quite frankly and do you mm -hmm. want your dad to also be managing that and how you come across to the media you know is that the best person to be doing that yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we always think, you know, the starting point is to have somebody who knows you best, but there are just circumstances mm. where, you know, it's just not the right thing to do, mm. you know, and, and the financial side of it, you're absolutely right, you know, in any state of that value, um, you know, anybody is going to need support. Um, so we have with our with our clients quite regularly, isn't it? If you think of the compensation claims that quite often we're dealing with, especially unfortunately for children where that money has got to be managed for the rest of their lives. Do those parents want to go from being mum and dad who are also having to deal with being carers on top of being mum and dad, then also being the purse strings, the banker, exactly. and dealing with the, the conversations which will have to come as they grow up through their lives? Um, I think mm -hmm. when I talk to my families and clients of, and their families, that's always the conversations that we're having. It's thinking about the future in terms of, do you mm -hmm. want to put yourself in this role? Because not only do you have a child who's got an injury, you've also got a child who's going to go through puberty and mm -hmm. teenage years with dealing with a brain injury. On top of that, you know, pick your battle sometimes it is you know, the feedback that I often get and us coming in and being that independent deputy. Um, often I find families say, you know, actually that's brilliant because we can sometimes push those hard conversations on you you can be the bad person we don't we can we remove ourselves from that conversation that role exactly yeah yeah i i get that quite a lot
definitely. So yeah, we, we're, it's interesting times we're living in. Um, capacity seems to be around a lot, doesn't it? Um, topic. Yeah, definitely. The, um, the, the other thing that sort of made me think about it as well and come back to that LPA point was you know, what happens when you don't have a power of attorney in place and you end up with somebody making the application to be your deputy that you don't want um, is one thing you know that's the kind of situation that Brittany's in but also what happens to other people who might not necessarily even find out about it all until it's too late so I had a I had a case a few years ago where I was instructed by a child of a of a gentleman to apply um, on her behalf and she wanted to become his deputy and just trying to get to know a little bit about the gentleman and you know where where he was living what happened to him uh, how he'd come to be in a situation where he'd lost capacity who was in his life it soon became apparent to me that this gentleman might have been in a same-sex relationship and his daughter might not have known about it and um, actually that did transpire to be the case and that's really tricky because the gentleman's identified as being a friend and so we were fortunate that we'd identified him and could serve him with notice and it actually came to light that um they had the, this gentleman and p had been in a in a relationship for a number of years and this gentleman felt that he was the most appropriate person to mm. become the deputy and, and not the daughter and managing that is a, is a really tricky situation because the daughter has just found out about her father's private life um and had no idea about it and and she had been involved with her father it wasn't as though she just sort of reappeared on the scene or anything like that but this gentleman had led a very private life um but it, I'm sure that that individual would have wanted his lifelong sort of of mm. twenty years last partner to become his deputy and manage um, his affairs and and help to make decisions about you know where he was going to live, him coming out of hospital, returning home, how that was going to be supported, um, because he'd been there, um, and actually we were able to resolve it um, to that effect. The daughter was very understanding, but I do often wonder what would have happened if the daughter had have gone the other way and dug in and. You know, we could have ended up in a situation there where the court decided that neither of them was appropriate mm -hmm. um, if they couldn't work together. Because that's always a tricky one, isn't it? You know, where you just can't get people to work together. But I do wonder, and and yeah, I've not had a situation where that's happened, but it, it's absolutely um, something that, you know, is perfectly feasible. It's why no, I think really... when... Sorry, go on, Becca. No, I was just thinking that that, that sort of brings to another point to the conversation in that this this point about notice um it's interesting isn't it that the court of protection has sort of had a um a, a real push on um notification and applications in the last mm. couple of years so whereas once upon a time there was a requirement to no notify parties and perhaps if you put one or two notifiable parties down that would often be accepted now it's it's very much party line you must put three parties down at least uh, to yeah. be notified of this application but on the flip side we've got LPAs where we're no longer notifying mm -hmm. parties in, intentionally and I think it's a it's a really weird way of coming at it that the court are pushing for it in the formal process notification whereas the slightly more informal 
process where individuals can actually do that on the internet themselves without a practitioner helping them that's not being policed quite so, mm -hmm. so strongly anymore um i mean when i when i was um dealing with lasting powers of attorney and i'm going back years now but i always used to suggest to the donor when they were making their powers of attorney that they do include a, a person to, to be informed when the power is registered because it gives a, an, an extra set of watching eyes doesn't it you know you always want to think that whoever people are selecting as their attorneys are trustworthy and are going to mm -hmm. make you know decisions in p's best interests and in line with what um their their wishes would be but you never know and it can't do any harm to sort of have a have a, a watcher a watching kind of eye over things to just sort of raise a flag with the office of the public guardian if things don't quite seem as they ought to um mm. but yeah you're absolutely right it's almost two opposite ends of the scale it's almost all autonomy or absolutely kind of um not um i guess yeah. there's an assumption that when if if somebody's making a, an lpa they're not under that you would assume that they're not under any undue influence and they're completely doing it of their own of their own mind and of course that would be the ideal scenario otherwise hopefully you wouldn't be drafting it in the first place but um there's also you know, got certificate providers there to do in some ways yeah, as well isn't it yeah. but I, th I think you know what we have known and gosh we've seen it haven't we for for what it is we we have seen lpas when they've gone bad yeah, um yeah. you know we've seen it where attorneys haven't quite got it right or actually um have really really got it wrong um and so i don't think you know anybody who makes a an LPA or, or an EPA going back that far ever would appoint somebody who they didn't think was entirely trustworthy but unfortunately mm. circumstances change and people change and so you know it can be some years until that power starts to get used and the attorney you know just might not be the same person um, and sometimes it's all it's also a case of you know they might just get a little bit wrong and need some yeah. support but it's helpful to have someone who is watching I think so anyway that's my view. I, I did used to, I was uh, only only a few years ago uh, drafting LPAs as a trainee and I did used to put, a, a, I used to really try and ask people to think about worst case scenario sometimes because I would say, you know, you're not going to be using these things now. Um, you, you can if you want to, but, but probably not. They, you know, they're more of a sort of insurance policy for the future, I guess. But, you know, especially where people had more than two children if they had three or had they had four children i'd sort of said, talk me through the relationships between your children is there any friction are there people who don't get along and sometimes people would say oh well you know the you know the youngest is a bit of a wild card you know she doesn't really like her older sister or stuff like that and and i just try and say to them i know you'd like to think that that children will all agree with each other and and be focusing on your your best interests but families are complex and uh you know in heightened situations of stress if somebody's ill or you know if other things are going on if there's financial hardship or complexity all of a sudden those multiple different factors can can sort of boil up this broth of tension and before you know it all manner of things are happening um and actually that's how one of one of my clients came to me um a year or so ago um there were there were uh, three siblings who uh, at the time of drafting an LPA all got along absolutely fine um, and uh, mum didn't think there was going to be any problem and had always treated all siblings equally um, but then before you know it when the LPAs came to be registered at a later date uh, one of siblings objected and um, 
just sort of blew up from there really um and it all got very personal and very sharp um and and they ended up appointing a, an independent party because it didn't you know after probably about a year of proceedings just really wasn't going anywhere so that was the best thing in p's interest to be honest so, i've seen the other end of that i yeah. suppose one of my um one of my more complicated files that i worked on for a number of years was um where we were actually appointed as the independent body we'd had unfortunately a falling out between siblings who just could not resolve their issues mm -hmm. um and despite actually the appointment of an independent deputy we we spent several years then um liaising between the parties we we could never unfortunately come to the stage where everybody could work in a joined up approach and it's yeah it's a shame isn't it because it's it, we're all working for towards p again it's putting mm. p at the middle of it and it's taking into account everybody's opinions um i think that's one of the hardest roles actually as a as a deputy is factoring in the thoughts wishes and feelings of the family members who we purport mm. to know p best and trying to sift out what actually is where's p where does p sit in all yeah. of this um and you also have the financial aspect of that to think because you don't want to waste too much money going around and around in circles getting everybody's opinion um and then actually you know wasting time and money on getting something done for p and sometimes you don't get anywhere with it anyway do you it's you know it's a bit of a trial and error isn't it um i wonder whether it's worth thinking about things that people could do in advance to try and mitigate things like this happening yeah this is really interesting because i heard somebody mention this just yesterday and they were saying about doing letters of wishes to go alongside lasting mm -hmm. powers of attorney and i i i haven't, haven't worked in that field for years as i said but um that's something i'd not um come across previously and um i actually think it's a great idea yeah, um I, I mean i know i know that the form allows you to kind of put some guidance in there um and we've we were always very cautious in terms of saying you know what to include because you don't want to make sure you want to make sure you get it in the right box basically and don't sort of um restrict the powers that you're giving to your attorneys unnecessarily you don't want to cause any conflict there and sometimes people didn't always put things in the guidance box and that could cause problems. So I think if you take it offline um, and away from the form, away from the, the actual power and you put it in a letter of wishes um, and also the flexibility that that gives because you change, your wishes will change. Absolutely. Um, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. yeah. Completely Has anyone good. seen one? I've not done letters of wishes with lasting powers of attorney, but we I did used to do them quite a lot with wills um, because it where they were yeah, things that's that were sort of I'm really, used to seeing really <laughs> personal, but don't sit right in a formal legal document. It does make absolute sense. And then you're not you're not shackled to the legalities of needing to change it in future if you need to. Um, and you can just keep your own notes as you're going along. But I used to say to people, just make sure you're having conversations with people, even now, even when you're fine, even if you think you're never going to need to use these documents, be having conversations about, you know, sometimes it's difficult things you're talking about, but they will remember those things in future so that, you know, you've at least voiced those things. And as your mind changes over time, keep having those conversations with people and you know, you just got to sort of try and put your put your wishes and feelings out there as much as you can while you can so, and hope that people remember those in future, I guess. Do you think this ties in with what the APG was saying about 
an LPA becoming a bit like a driving license and everybody having one, the more and more we push that, the more we spread the message about LPAs and the benefit of them in the future, if you are to lose capacity, it becomes a talking point. So more people are aware of them and it doesn't come as a shock when one is being used for a family member. I mean, we're just talking about wills, letters of wishes. Everybody knows you should have a will. If you put mm -hmm. LPAs on the same pedestal, so everybody is aware of what that concept is, and it, it won't be so shocking when a family member loses capacity and another family member perhaps is starting to, to act for them because we all know what that is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the OPG um, uh, sort of advert, and it was on mainstream TV last year. I haven't seen it recently, but it was out there, wasn't it? That um, uh, I think it was a mother and a son, and it was, um, she was my voice and now I can be hers. Um, mm. And it, it's actually a really nice way of putting it. Um, you just need to make sure that the, the voice that's coming through is from the person that you want it to be. Um, and equally, as you say, Lauren, make sure that they know what your wishes are. It's slightly different, but um, I still think that there is such a real reluctance amongst people to deal with their wills. Um, I was people, just thinking the same thing, actually. People um, don't like talking about it, do they? They don't. Um, and I think we've still got a little bit of that around LPAs. I mean, we always sort of say your LPA is almost your insurance policy. and mm. Hopefully you'll never need to use it. But, you know, for for peace of mind. And mm. I think people, when they eventually do pluck up the courage sometimes to, to go and talk to somebody about their will and to get to get their will in order, um, they sort of take that it's peace of mind mm. you know you've you've put it in place and it should be absolutely the same with lpas but i do think we still got um a bit of work to do there there's a bit of stig stigma breaking down i think that needs to be needs to be done really isn't it i just think if we all talk about these things more um you know informally um then i think people might start to feel more comfortable discussing it and then in, in turn will feel more comfortable actioning these things it's it's like you don't when you take out an insurance policy you don't think oh god this obviously means that i am expecting my house to fall down that's not that's not the case is it you know you're you're you sort of hope for the best and plan for the worst i suppose yeah definitely um i i, I think our colleagues in you know our wealth protection team have really been flying that flag for years mm -hmm. and sadly by the time that clients come to us generally it's it's a little bit too late to make the powers of attorney but it's I, what I always find really interesting is um the the misunderstanding about that um and the amount of calls that we get inquiries where people say oh you know my relative has gone into hospital and unfortunately they haven't got capacity and I've been told to make a power of attorney um mm. and you know I, I guess you could look at that of somebody starting from the point of view that that individual has has capacity and so you know support them to to consider whether or not they've they, they've got capacity to to make that that power of attorney but all too often actually it's very clear that that individual sadly doesn't have capacity to to make the lpa and it's a deputy ship um so i think you know yeah we need to start flying the flag for um getting your affairs in order breaking mm. down the stigma getting rid of the taboo you know i'm i'm not going to lose capacity if i make an lpa yeah. um, <laughs> you know, it is there for a rainy day but equally i think therefore if you are saying i'm going to make this as an insurance policy it's really important that you keep it under review as well isn't it because if we're talking yeah. about wishes and feelings and um in the same way that those change we might actually want who we've 
chosen as our attorney to change with that you know if we encourage people to make power of attorney as soon as they can as early on as possible think about the life changes and choices that we go from you know that could in 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 the beginning be a sibling um which you know we wouldn't necessarily want our brother or sister then ma- um dealing with things when we get married or you mm. know or we divorce or mm. you know we get older and we do want our children so i think people often still at the moment because they tend to be made as we're people are a bit older in life but I think with LPAs it's important to recognize that while someone's got capacity they can change them and they should be they should be reviewed in the same way that you review your will okay you might get it out and go yeah that's absolutely fine I'm happy with that and I know that this person is the right person to be my attorney and to follow through with my wishes um but if it's not do something about it because that's almost worse isn't it completely agree and I guess uh also you know the, the assumption that you won't you don't need to make these things until you're older is perhaps particularly prescient to us because we we see plenty of people that come to us in in unusual circumstances that would never have foreseen needing to involve people like us you know you, you know you're in a car crash and before you know it you your whole life's changed and you you need to consider these things it's you just don't know what life's going to throw at you, do you, I suppose? No, we spend our life planning Absolutely. for the don't we? And, and making financial plans for ourselves. Like our legal plans should be exactly the same and just as important. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that there's still a feeling that people only need LPAs if they've got money, if they've got assets? I think that's that stigma perhaps that's just a lack of understanding isn't it oh it it's... absolutely is but do you think that that is still one of the because I know that that's sort of with wills people say oh I don't need a will I haven't got anything to leave yeah. um yeah. do you think people also sort of think well I don't need a lasting private attorney for property and affairs because I haven't got any property or, or I haven't got any financial affairs um I do but... think people think that actually yeah, but I also I think it's going to be really different for the next generations that are coming along because you know even just 20 years ago people might have might have had one job for the whole of their life their life might be much more predictable than it is for the the coming generations. You know, they, I think they say now people have six different jobs and, you know, that could mean six different pension pots with different providers. It could mean you could be doing, I don't know, a side hustle. You know, people make money from the internet. You've got so many different things. And even if it's small pockets of information or money or, or what, it's still going to be relevant to the future and how, how that's managed in the future. Um, I had a conversation actually when I when I was still doing wills and LPAs. Someone said, "Do I need to write my internet passwords down in my will so that somebody can get into my, you know, access my email accounts and things?" And I thought, I actually don't know the answer to that question because we've not needed to, we've not needed to cross the bridge the other end yet with anyone. Um, I, I remember that. I, I yeah, I I remember that happening, and I remember that there were dedicated websites popping up where you could put that information yeah. in and they would keep really? it safe yeah they would keep it and then they, they would only um they would only sort of give that information out on production of your death certificate so sort of like a a data data bank if you mm. like yeah. um that you 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 stored your your sort of soft data in so i do remember that happening gosh i'm not that old am i um <laughs> Well, I, I, yeah, I think today's been really great, ladies. It's been really yeah. useful, not least to, you know, share the whole Britney stuff and was desperate mm-hmm. to talk to somebody who kind of might have some, some thing to give back rather than, you know, somebody who's like, oh yeah, poor Britney. Um, because <laughs> there's so many issues in there. So it's been, it's been really great. Um, I really hope for Britney actually that she, she does get some of that autonomy in terms of the decision making back. Um, 
I have to say one last thing on the Britney point. The really scary thing was when they interviewed one of the attorneys and they said, um, I have never in my career, I have never seen a conservatorship come to an end. I was absolutely oh my goodness because surely the ultimate aim is if you can to restore p's capacity at some point and they can manage as much of uh, as possible of their own affairs you want to give them as much freedom and liberty as possible but yes it was like a done deal yeah and and i what i also found odd about that was that the um the lawyer who said it has now recently gone back on to bring um father's legal team so sort of gives you an idea but I, I could not believe that I absolutely agree with mm. you Lauren mm. um somebody's incapacity is the start of a journey for many people and sadly yeah. some people won't be able to regain capacity but yeah you're absolutely right and that's always our point our starting point isn't it this is a journey that we come on with you mm. and for, for whatever reason you've lost capacity but we're going to do what we can to work with you um to get you back to that state of autonomy um, it's always the mm. best day, isn't it, when you can yeah. restore an individual's capacity. It's the best phone call that I've ever made to a client. Yeah. I've had the order, you're restored. You don't need me anymore. Mm. Um, you know, you've, you've built the relationship with the client to be able to help them in different ways once they are restored. But the joy is fantastic. Um, to like, you, you've 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 been restored. You're, you don't need the court's interference anymore, and that's that is the best day. And it's what it must be a very freeing feeling, mustn't it? Yeah. yeah. And actually, what what you know often happens in those situations is that the client has really valued that professional input over the years Mm. and and they've identified the professionals that they do need to work with um well you know and that might be their accountant or their financial advisor and it might even be ourselves in the form of a professional trustee to just kind of Mm. be that um that sense check or that safety net or um knowing that we're there so yeah, I, I was absolutely astounded when she said that. I could not believe it. And she, yeah. she seemed like she'd been practicing for a few years as well. Yes, she, was, yeah. she wasn't yeah. straight out of law school as they would no, say in America. No. Um, so I, I was, yeah, gosh, what, what a difference. Now. I found that very, <laughs> very alarming. Very alarming. So what have we learned today, guys? Uh, <laughs> we've learned that um, I'm going to go get my power of attorney out of the drawer and just make sure it says that uh, I have attorney that it says I'm happy with. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've learned today. Um, yeah, it, it, but I think we are really um, focused on P and I think we always you're right we always put them at the center of what we do Mm. and actually sometimes that isn't always possible but it's always where we start (laughs) yeah and we'll always try won't we it's not you know yeah you don't just throw in the towel if you can't if p can't answer a question Um, And, and for those cases that come to us where we have no idea who that individual is um you know we 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 do what we can and and we try to it's a bit like it's a bit like a puzzle isn't it you know Mm. it's a bit like finding the pieces to the puzzle um you know whether that's going out to where they've lived and you know it's really personal actually going through what is essentially someone's life but we don't do it for no reason we do it because we want to understand what that person would have wanted exactly yeah. and it feel it feels like a real privilege at that point in a way without yeah. without sounding too soppy about my job it's, it is very it's it's quite special in a in a strange way to 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 work through somebody's entire life and try and understand them um yeah 
can also be really fascinating. Mm. Um, you know, I, I remember years ago, I, I had come across a gentleman and um, walked into his room and <laughs> it was this really unassuming house. But when I walked into this one room, there were share brochures um, from, from his shareholdings and an AGM invite stacked from floor to ceiling in this massive room <laughs> and I knew I knew instantly I was going to be a busy girl that day <laughs> um, but this gentleman had literally taken pleasure in basically playing the stock market mm. um and he um he'd grown up in that house lived in that house and it was like walking back in time to the 1940s um and he was worth multi-million pounds um just by playing the stock market um and it was fascinating because when i went to see him in the care home i took a couple of the the share packs with me and the brochures with me and um we basically had this fantastic conversation because i knew that that's what he liked knew that that's yeah. what he would enjoy and um i took him a copy of the financial times and um he sat there and he told me all about what you know, he, he'd done, um, but nobody in the care home knew that before I went there. Um, mm. So mm. yeah, you really can make a difference. Um, we just yeah. have the best job, don't we? Getting to know these people and know people are the same. It's flipping it's challenging sometimes. But yeah, we do. I, I've, I've, yeah, that, that's just come back to me actually talking about this. It's interesting. I haven't thought about that, Mum, for years. But um, yeah, it was. But you know, it's stuff like that that can then open up somebody to to other people. You know, like if, you know, well, if, if Sarah right. comes in later on in the day, they see the Financial Times. P has been buoyed up by that conversation with you, um, and before you know it, they're chatting away to everyone. They've made new friends. They've remembered things they hadn't thought about for years. It's it's it can be really special. Yeah, and actually, from that day on, actually, all 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 that he really enjoyed, um, he'd been getting the local kind of paper that was was sent in, and that didn't stimulate him in any mm. way. And then we got him the you know the, the the Financial Times going in every morning, and he just you know he was absolutely brought light to his day. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was it was brilliant. So, yeah, we'll always do what we can, but it, it can be a challenge um, building that puzzle. Um, it's cool. Mm -hmm. awesome virtual coffee kitchen chat absolutely this is exactly what we've missed isn't it during the absolutely. pandemic yeah. being able to just chat through our recent cases what's going on um, and we'll, we'll try we'll try and do it again i think mm -hmm. and i think if anybody has any suggestions um of things that we can uh, watch there's loads on at the moment so um <laughs> if anyone's got any suggestions or anything drop us an email drops an email yeah or you know comment or, or wherever this is going to go out um and and yeah we'll we'll get on it and yeah thanks, absolutely guys. yeah thank you all right <laughs> bye <laughs>